Hallelujah. How's that for a start? All right. I am so glad that you're here this morning. And as you're finding a seat, I just want to tell you, I appreciate all of your prayers for Ken Davis. Gwen and I visited him a couple times this week, and uh, every time it just amazes me what God does through medicine. You know, not only a bypass, but five bypasses. And uh, he was telling his wife, Sherry, uh, I, I think we'll be in church on Sunday. And, and she says, you know how Sherry is real easy going. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> in other words, the pastor's here and I'm not going to trump that. But I don't think he'll be in church on Sunday. But his desire was. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning because we're going to continue our series about start here. And the whole uh, consensus of this sermon series is this. Everything has a starting point. We know as, as we come into this world as a child or whatever it is that we have a starting point. So, so does faith. You know, and maybe you're here this morning and uh, we, we kind of did that survey to start it out of how many people came to know God and made Him uh, the Lord and Savior of your life when you were under the age of 18. And, and the majority of people do. Uh, but, but it's a whole different way of coming to know God and making Him, declaring Him to be your Lord and Savior as an adult. And, and it's not any different, but at the same time it is different because as a child we hear stories and they you know, teach us just to believe. And, and to some extent, that, that's what we're supposed to do. The older we get, we have all these questions about, well, what about that? What about this? And just the response of just believe sometimes causes people to go, you know what, I don't know about that. And when we say, well, the Bible says, and we realize that that was never meant to be a starting point of a person's faith and walk with God. It was never meant to start. We lost a cookie. If somebody wants to get that. Nothing like losing a cookie. Don't lose your cookies during Pastor Miller's sermon. All right, and we're back. All right. In the series, we've talked about how the first week we talked that Jesus is the starting point. You know, and Paul is talking to the philosophers of Athens, and he says, you know, that God loved us so much that he had demonstrated, we have proof that God sent Jesus and that he died and was resurrected. And people would be like, are you kidding me? And that was just in that immediate time. And in the next word, or next week we talked about how we're not just mistakers, which a lot of times we tend to want to be, but we're sinners. And, and how sin breaks a relationship. And until we get to the point of realizing that, just like in the, the story of the prodigal son, or you could say the compassionate father, that until that, that crossing point of recognizing sin in a person's life, and then repenting and coming back. There, there can't be that relationship that is mended. Last week we talked about wrecked and how the world was wrecked. And God had a choice to make. Would he re-enter into the world and do something about sin? Or would he just put an out of order sign on the world and go do something else? And we, we talked about how he chose to come back into the world. And through Abraham began a plan of redemption and salvation this morning we're going to be wrestling with kind of a, a subject that is somewhat kind of prickly and it, it's called rules 
that are made. And and it's something that uh, all, all religions have rules. If you think of anything about Islam or the Buddhist or, you know, the five pillars of uh, Islam, all those different things, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, whatever religion is out there, they have, have you ever thought that you're to cook religion and just make up your own rules? It work that way, though, does it? point and how we can help those people that maybe have never heard, if you've never heard about, you know, the, the story of David and Goliath or, you know, um, Paul or Barnabas or whatever, what would be a good starting point? And I think a lot of people have a kind of a pullback when it comes to rules. Uh, we, we're an assembly of God and it's funny that, you know, I, I, I don't know a lot about Islam or the Buddhist or the Harry Harry Krishna or whatever. But I do know that Christians, we have several different denominations and it seems like each one of them have different rules. You know, you've, uh, you, you have the Baptist, you know, you have the Lutheran and the Presbyterians and the, the Methodist and the Catholics. Sometimes growing up you think, well, the Catholics didn't have enough rules. Now let's not even start about Mardi Gras. But you know, it's it's all of the Christian religion or all the denominations, we all have different ways of saying it. But here's what I want you to know. And if you're taking notes, realize this. As a starting point this morning in a person's faith, when you think of rules, it always assumes there's a relationship. I want you to think about that. Rules always assume a relationship. This morning, to kind of give you a a verbal picture, and we're going to have to move pretty quick. But but I want you to see just kind of things that will kind of bring us back to what I'm talking about. The first model I want you to think, and, and maybe you come up with something different, but is the family model. And the family model is just that simply that when you enter into family, your parents begin to establish rules. You have rules, listen to this, because you're part of the family. <laughs> Because when we're children, we're like, those rules stink. And then we get to be parents and go, you got to have some rules or you got chaos. But, but isn't it a fact that you don't set rules for people outside your family? You know, I, I don't call my neighbor and go, can I talk to your daughter? What? Yes, I want to know if she did her homework. And I see her lights on and she needs to get to bed. We laugh at that because we, we don't do that. And, and we all know other people's kids that we would love to put on restriction. Can I get an amen? For you, Jimmy, here's the restriction. As long as our family lives in the neighborhood, you have to stay in your house. When we move, restriction's gone. We We can't put, or we don't, it's almost crazy to think that parents would put other regulations or rules on people outside of their family. But listen to this. In the family model, as what we're going to talk about, is rules don't make you a part of the family. But because you're part of the family, 
There's rules. See, a lot of times we get all caught up in the rules and why we have to follow. But because you're part of the family, there's rules. The rules don't make you. But it's different than the second one that I want you to think about, and it's the club model. The club model usually comes with a contract that you have to sign. huh? And before you join a club, you've got to agree with the, the, the regulations and all of the, the rules. You sign the contract saying you're going to follow those rules. Now, if the day comes where you are not following the rules, they're going to ask you to leave. As long as you follow the rules, you can stay. It's a whole different way of looking at the subject of rules. Now, the third one is kind of just for fun, but it, it has some bite to it. it. And it's called the Homeowners Association Rule. Everybody that's part of a homeowners association, you go, oh. See, as long as you, you can come into the neighborhood, you can buy the house, you put a lot of money into the house, a lot of investment, but if you don't follow what you've agreed to, pretty soon you're going to get that nasty letter. We're going to give you so many days until you paint your house something different than pink. And by the way, get the uh, trampoline out of your front yard. The front yard is not for a parking lot. Park in the driveway or we're going to give you a ticket. When we uh, saw Crawford Farms going in, that's the neighborhood across the street, they needed a place to meet. And so they met here, and, and back then I opened the doors and I kind of turned on the sound for them so that they could have. And, and there was probably about 60 people out of the 300 families that moved in, and it wasn't quite that large yet, but they, they would come and, and you know, the, the people that were there, were you could tell a little uneasy, and they'd come in, and, and they would begin to declarate, you know, they'd be able to say, here's all the things you got to do. And someone said, I got a ticket because my recycling bin was out front. And they said, yes, you have so many days until not, you can't move it to the side of the house. It's got to be totally out of sight from the road. Homeowners Association. The nasty notes. The, the group can't make you move, can't make you sell your house, but they can shame you and make you so miserable that you kind of long to live someone else. Where else? Huh? See, see, those are three kind of verbal pictures of different models. Let me put it this way. When you think of it, rules mean you're in a relationship with somebody else. So, when we talk about a starting point for your Christian faith, well, let me ask you this. Is it the family model? Where rules come as guidelines and, and even consequences? Or is it the club model where you're going to have to agree and kind of sign a contract even though it might be just a verbal contract and you're going to say, yes, I'm, as long as I keep believing, I can stay in Christianity. But as long as I, if I don't, then they're going to ask me to leave. Or maybe even the homeowners association where you'll begin to Feel the nastiness in the Christian world if you're not doing the right thing at the right time. This morning when I talk about that, a lot of times there's two perspectives. And it's the, you, you, you have people that will hear that and take it as theological and another one will take it emotionally. 
because of something that we've been taught versus something that we actually believe. And, and sometimes with rules and, and commandments and everything, they get all foggy and we begin to go, you know what, I just don't get it. I, I get to that place, Pastor, where I, I just don't know if I can put my faith into something that's telling me that I've got to do this or do that. We're going to talk about that. This morning, I want you to understand that in the Bible, the oldest recorded set of rules, I, I should say they, they think it's the third oldest, but it's the Ten Commandments. And a lot of times, if you hand someone the Bible and say, do you believe in the Ten Commandments? They say, yeah. And that you hand it to them and they go, well, I don't know what it is. And, and this morning, if we had a little test and I handed you out some sheets of paper and say, write down as many Ten Commandments as you know. Most of us know, you know, you shouldn't kill or steal. And then it starts getting foggy. Uh, you, you shouldn't. You should tell the truth and you should and you should uh, polish your shoes. So it's got to be somewhere in there. Polish your shoes. That, that's a good one, you know. And sometimes you don't know all of the Ten Commandments, but just by osmosis of being around, you kind of feel what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. This morning, if you would, remember that the Ten Commandments are found in Exodus chapter 20. Can you say that with me? Exodus chapter 20. 20. 20. Somebody says, what was that? Exodus 20. Now, this morning, I want you to see this. Now, last week we talked about Abraham. And we talked about how, you know, by faith that he said, you know what, I'm going to trust you, God. I, I agree that you are who you say you are and can do what you say you can do. And I want you to kind of have some history because I want you to realize that this whole picture begins in motion with Abraham. And Abraham has a wife named Sarah. And if you've never heard the, the history, I, I just want to quickly bring you up to date if you've never heard it. Maybe it's the first time, but maybe if you've been in church, you kind of know kind of some of the pieces. Abraham's wife was Sarah. She could not have a child and they're old in age. And, and God had promised them that they would have a child and, and become a great nation, but it just wasn't happening. So the wife said, well, I, I kind of have a maid here named Hagar and she can probably have a child. And so bada bing, bada boom, there's Ishmael, a child out of Hagar. That wasn't God's perfect plan, but that's what happened. What, what happened after that is that God was faithful and true and had a son out of Sarah, which was Isaac. Both in the, in the Muslim faith that Ishmael is a son of blessing and in Judaism, which also is in Christianity, that Isaac was the son of blessing. Out of the whole line of Ishmael, that is where the Muslims or the Islam faith is, is born and, and now is developed by the, the prophetical word of a man named Muhammad. But in the lineage of Abraham and Isaac, Isaac has Jacob and Esau. And out of the line of Jacob, he has 12 sons. One of them is Joseph, who had a coat of, oh, you're following me, many colors. And his brothers didn't like him because of the dream in his life. The Bible says that the brothers put him in a pit and eventually sells him into slavery into Egypt. He becomes prime minister because the hand of God is on him. 
and begins to prophesy the dream that the king, Pharaoh, has. That there's going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine, and that somebody ought to do the job of storing up the good years in order for the bad. And the king says, Pharaoh says, you demand. So the Bible says that Joseph becomes the prime minister, really, of Egypt and begins to do all these things that are just going to bless the world, pretty much. He gets on his email and he emails his father and his brothers and they come to Egypt. you got to read the Bible. It's great. And, and the Bible says that the brothers and, and the father and everybody from Israel that's in a time of famine comes to Egypt and gets the best of the land. Now here's what's, what's wild is because as God has chosen Abraham to be kind of through the line of bringing in the Messiah of Jesus, they go to Egypt and the, the Egyptians begin to become jealous because the, the people of Joseph, the, the Jews, become so full of blessings and prosperity, they become increasingly in size. The Egyptians say, unless we take control of this situation, we've got a problem. And what happens is the Egyptians put the Israelites into slavery. Now, for 400 years, the Israelites are in slavery. Now, can you imagine all they're going on is the hearsay of this great, great, great grandfather called Abraham that had a blessing that God was going to choose to bless them and his lineage. All these ancestors are going to our predecessors. What's the word? His children are going to be blessed throughout generations. Descendants. Thank you. A little late, but thank you anyway. So what has happened is during the time of slavery, can you imagine that they're sitting in Sunday school class and somebody says, and God is blessing Abraham and he's going to make it. Yes, Jimmy? We're slaves. I know that. Okay, and God said that he will bless all the people on the earth because of Abraham and his descendants. Yes, Jimmy? But we're slaves. Jimmy. And the conflict between reality and faith, again, collide like a lot of times in our life. And, it, and at this point is where faith has to take over. For 400 years, they begin to go, you know, it just doesn't, it's not lining up. And then one day, a man named Moses shows up on the scene and he comes to Pharaoh and he says, let my... And Pharaoh says, no. The Israelites are the purpose of the economy, man. They're taking, I mean, the slavery is doing well. They're building my buildings and all my, yeah, they're, they're great. I'm not letting them go. Are you kidding me? God comes upon the scene through Moses and begins to declare. And all of a sudden, nature goes crazy. You got flies and frogs and gnats and boils. and I mean, it, it's just crazy. And here's what I want you to see is, here's in the middle of all this plagues and all this stuff. And, and finally, Pharaoh says to Moses, get out. If you know the story, he travels with the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery to a place called Mount Sinai. 
And at Mount Sinai is where the Ten Commandments are going to be given. This morning, if you have your Bibles, look at Exodus chapter 20. I want you to see this. In the first couple verses, it says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God. Now, now just stop right there. People could have said, what? You're our God? Where have you been for 400 years? Well, if, if you're our God, then you're saying that we're your people? Now understand, this is a whole generation that has never experienced the hand of God on their life. He is talking to him and he says, yes, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He says, I'm the one that came into the havoc, all the things that are going on wrong in your life, and I am the deliverer. I, I brought a man to work on my behalf, Moses. Think about this. I came into your life when there was no hope, no chance, and I'm telling you, I'm going to do what I promised your grandfather, great-grandfather, your great-great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, that I was going to do. Before we read the next verse, which begins the Ten Commandments, I want to bring something to your mind. If you'll back up all the way before they leave Egypt, this is important. If you remember this part, before the Ten Commandments, if you'll back up all the way to the last commandment or the last plague that happens in Egypt, it is called the Passover. This is a time when Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let you go no matter what. And God asks Moses, will you trust me? And then he tells them what to do. I want you to kill a lamb and put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of your house. So that when the death angel goes by, he will pass over your house because of your identity of who you are. Who are we? You're my children. I'm your God. What is that going to do? Will you just trust me? We've been here for 400 years. Will you trust me? I haven't seen anything. My mom and dad haven't seen anything. My great-grandfather never saw anything. But will you trust me? Will you trust me and believe me that I can take care of you? That I'm your God, that you'll be my people. And the Bible says that that night when the death angel passed over their houses, that all the firstborn in that family died unless they had the blood of that lamb over the doorpost of their house. Again, signifying who they were. When the people saw that, you can imagine, just, just for a minute, all of a sudden it became real in their life of what they had believed for, maybe even hoped for a little bit. Could there be a God that loves us so much that He would make a way out of slavery? And all of a sudden what they had believed for for maybe 400 years they held on to almost as a fairy tale 
Now all of a sudden it becomes reality and they go, wow. Three weeks later, after the demonstration of love to his children, three weeks later, they show up at Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments are given. And I, I want you to see, just, just this morning, the first one of the commandments. In verse 3, it says this. You shall have no other gods before me. I'm sure the people heard that went, what, what now? No other? Check that box. We're in. Are you kidding me? Who else has a God like our God that can destroy the most powerful king probably on the known face of the earth? Yes, we choose you. Because you can be trusted, God. This morning, I want you to remember in, in the starting point of your adult faith, maybe you could say that the Ten Commandments were a confirmation of and not a condition of Israel's relationship with God. Can I say it again? It was a confirmation, not a condition of their relationship with God. God makes it clear before any organized religion is formed, any kind of denomination or any of that, you're my people. You didn't do one thing to deserve it. A lot of you will doubt it. Not just today or yesterday, but tomorrow. You'll doubt, but there's not one thing that you've done. But I love you. Now that you're part of my family, I, I want to give you some commandments of how to live together and how to live under my authority. When he puts that number one commandment, don't have any other God except me. How can I prove to you to trust me? How, how can I do that? Sometimes when you get into, and if you've been in the church a while and, and you begin to read the Old Testament, you go through Genesis and you go, and that's pretty cool. You get into Exodus and you hear about the stories of all the, the Moses. You know, in Genesis, it's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and all. And then Exodus is Moses and the Ten Commandments and all that. And then you get into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And you get into Jeremiah and you go, what in the world? These old guys, and we don't even know they're old, but we always think that the prophets got big old beards. And what are these guys yelling? Anybody? Why are they always mad? But, but I want you to understand that a lot of times when we see it that way, it, it, it's a learned behavior of somebody maybe, someone maybe that looks like me as a preacher that has kind of explained it that way. Let, let me explain it another way. Maybe it's God as a loving father saying, I've got a better way than you could ever imagine. And let me tell you this, the prophets in the Old Testament are kind of like God going, uh, a loving parent, uh, maybe you've been there, one, two, two and a half, 
And there's times where God said, I'm going to put you on restriction. And one time he got so bad, he said, I'm going to put you in restriction for 70 years. But then listen to this. He says, I'm going to bring you back. It's not what you did that I'm bringing you back or what you didn't do that I'm bringing you back. It's because of the fact is I love you and you're my children and I'm not going to give up on you. God is saying again and again in the Old Testament, it's not the club model. It's not the homeowners association model. But it's the family model. See, with God, it's relationship that precedes rules. And God opts for the family model over the club model. But let me ask you, today, right now, how does He treat you? Because see, it's the way that we've been taught or the way that we've seen it that God put commandments on us to restrict us to be able to do something right or wrong. And it's just a big... Come on now. One of my close friends is... Pastor Bob and some of you know Pastor Bob and he he tells a story about when his children he, he had two girls and he said I, I put a, a fence around my backyard and I, I loved them so much that I protected them with the fence there there couldn't be you know anything that could harm them and in that fence backyard I put all the toys that I could afford so they could just go outside and play and have a great time and but there was there was a, a boundary around the backyard and he told his girls he said girls you go out there and just have the fun of your life he says now the, the fence is there to protect you and and dad put it there for a reason outside of that if I'm not with you there's a there's a a void there that there's not that protection. And he begins to explain to the ministers that were in this group of how God loves us so much that that's the, the commandments, that's the things that he's putting in our life to again as a loving father giving his children. I know that sometimes as a child you... uh you think that your family doesn't love you because they put restrictions on you. I, I remember in, in junior high and high school, and I remember as a as a football player in, in school and how that goes in public school and being popular and, and trying to be a favorite and, and having a pecking order and peer pressure and all that. Of, of getting to that point when, when it clashes with the restrictions of the house, huh? And all your friends are going, hey, you know, they're real respectful. They don't call you John. They call you, hey, Miller, going out to the party tonight? No, I'm not. Why don't you ask your father? <laughs> I know my father and I don't have to ask. Now again, I could. I, I never grew up in. A, in now, some of you might have been in a house where you think your your thought your parents were just doing it because they you're going to have fun at the party. No. But later in life, those friends began to explain why they shouldn't have been at that party or those parties. And again, what is it that I lost for not being at the party? All those things that go on that causes heartache. Now this morning, I want to take one last little turn in this sermon. 
What if God just chose the Israelites as his favorite? I, I love the Jews. I love them. They're my children. But as far as those Europeans or those Americans, Canadians, uh, France, definitely not. But what if he just chose them as favorite? I, I want you to see this. Well, when it talks about God choosing Israel, Remember that in Genesis 18, we talked about Abraham was going to be blessed in order to be a blessing and that all the people, people groups on earth would be blessed through him. But, but it says this also, it says in Isaiah 49, 6, it says, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, talking about the Jewish people. How many people that are not Jewish here today are Gentiles? That's everybody else. Well, I didn't think I was a Gentile. If you're not a Jewish person, you're a Gentile. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you know that 1,500 years later, Jesus will show up on the scene? And as he begins to preach, you know, it's amazing how all nature goes crazy. I mean, storms come up and he's walking on water, he's Telling the storms to be quiet. I mean, it is amazing how God comes to earth and begins a message of what? Of hope that says, if you just trust me. Would you, would you trust me? Would you make me Lord of your life? If you'll do that, I'll make your life full to the abundant, even to the overflow. I, I want to end by this in John chapter 1, verse 12. Look at this passage. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who, does it say behaved? No. That, that isn't in there. To those who believed? No. Just to believe in His name. He gave the right to become children. Does it say club members? This morning, if you put your faith in Him, if you say, I accept you, Jesus, God says He's given us the ability to become children. Jesus says before any rules, any regulation, it was all about my love for you. This morning as you're considering saying, you know what? I want my faith to be in my God, Jesus Christ. Understand that He loved you so much that He chose to come and die for you if you'll just trust Him. Let's pray. Father, You are a loving Father. And God, I, I just pray that maybe things that we have learned in our past, things that are in our, our, our past uh, mind of what somebody's taught us. God, that the Bible isn't a bag of don'ts. But God, it's a bag of do's. It's a, it's a, it's a place of protection and safety. And God, before any, any rules, any commandments, any regulations, God, as part of your family, God, we trust you that they're the best for us.
Even God, when we can't see it and our minds begin to rationalize. God, we choose you. God, we thank you. God, because you're the Lord of our lives. And we give you authority over it. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah.